Promotional consideration for Growing Greater Philadelphia provided by Citizens Bank and the General Building Contractors Association. This is the Growing Greater Philadelphia podcast, bringing you more of the interviews and stories from the Growing Greater Philadelphia radio program. Now, here's Matt Cabry. So tell me a little bit more about... um, your impressions of Philadelphia because you are coming up on your four-year anniversary and it's love that brought you to Philadelphia. (laughs) Yes, it is love that brought me to Uh, Philadelphia. But what was your impression of Philadelphia when you were thinking about moving here? How have those impressions maybe changed over time? Yeah, so when we first, uh, when I first started visiting here a lot, when Laura and I first met, you know, I was coming down on weekends and the thing that was really fun about it is, you know, commuting back and forth between Syracuse and Philly isn't all that bad. It's only four hours, so relatively easy travel. But what was nice about it is once we got here, we could use public transportation for pretty much everything that we wanted to do. Um, We're both big fans of Center City, which is just a great place to to come and visit and do things. And uh, I'm a big fan of Reading Terminal Market. It's probably my favorite place in the whole city. And it was nice because she was living out on the main line, so we could jump on SEPTA and just come into the city. You know, it's 20 minutes, half hour, as long as everything's running on time, which is pretty much the case. And so it was just a lot of fun. And it it was really, and I think that's sort of the thing that I find intriguing about this is that, you know, you can continue to use your car if you want to, but there's just so much that's going on in Center City. And it is really pretty easy to get to. Uh, So that's what we like about it. It's just, it's that ease of access that you can kind of enjoy both. So you can get all of the cool stuff that's going on in the city, but you can still live out in the burbs and enjoy what's going on out there as well, too. I'm a native Philadelphian, and I live out in Chester County now. And, um, you know, our team at Select Greater Philadelphia, we represent an 11-county neighborhood, northern Delaware, southeastern Pennsylvania, southern New Jersey. One of the things I believe that we take for granted as a community that you and others who have joined the greater Philadelphia community uh, is our transportation infrastructure. And you were just touching on that. And uh, we really have a much more robust transportation infrastructure than most people appreciate. Yeah, we really do. You know, One of the other big advantages to being here, when I was living in Syracuse, the challenge almost always was, you know, Syracuse has a, quote, international airport, right? So it actually makes an occasional trip to Canada. But what was really nice about moving here is that we can get so many direct flights to so many other places that we would like to go or love to visit. Whereas in Syracuse, every place I wanted to go was pretty much a, I had to stop somewhere in order to get there. And, you know, the vast majority of the times here, if you want to get someplace out of Philly, you can get a direct flight, which is just hugely convenient uh, when it comes from a traveling perspective. So, I mean, to your point, you know, the transportation piece here is really pretty awesome. And if we're not taking enough advantage of it, people really should. I mean, one of the things that we like doing um, is periodically we'll go up to New York City and it's really easy to get to because we'll just drive over to Hamilton Station just north of Trenton and jump on the New Jersey Transit. You know, so we've got 45 minute drive there. Um, We catch the right New Jersey rail and it's an hour and 10 to Penn Station and we're right there in the middle of Manhattan. And that to me is just phenomenal that you know basically a 2 hour trip and i'm in the you know the middle of new york city and then it's easy coming back too we talk about access and proximity a lot in in what we do and how easy it is to get to the east coast the the northeast corridor but especially new york and washington dc from a business perspective you're close to the investment community uh, in D.C., you're close to the regulatory community, depending on how important that is to a specific industry, but certainly being close to legislators. Um, I often joke that it's actually New York and D.C. 
that benefit from being so close to Philadelphia. I think that's a really smart way of looking at it because we really are, you know, we're centrally located enough that it's easy to get to both and you don't have to bear the cost of living that both of those places have. I mean, I, you know, I have a number of friends that live both in either New York City or in D.C. Um, and really, when you think about it from a commuting perspective, you could live here and actually get to either one of those cities in about the same amount of time as if you lived out in the suburbs from them and tried to commute in, you know, via car every day. I mean, that to me is really where it gets, you know, kind of an interesting dynamic uh, about the area, and which one of the ones I like because we do, we do the same thing periodically, not as much down to D.C. Or, or Baltimore, but, it you know, we've jumped on Amtrak a couple times and, you know, you can do the day trips relatively easily down to D.C. and down to Baltimore, and we've got friends in those areas. So, yeah, I mean, the convenience of the of the transportation network here. I think isn't appreciated enough. Ellis Giles, uh, president, owner, CEO of Gray Boys. Yes. Um, you weren't always president, owner, and CEO of Gray Boys. Talk with us a little bit about how that came to be um, shortly after you arrived in the greater Philadelphia region. Yeah, so we've been here about four years, and actually uh, we're here because uh, of, to your point, it was we started early out of love, right? And I met my wife uh, almost six years ago now, and we met in Florida and then did the commute back and forth. Um, and then ultimately I took her to Syracuse, not the best decision I've ever made, but uh, one that led me here. Uh, so in, in all in all, really good choice. Uh, so when we moved back down here, um, as I was mentioning earlier, we got connected with some uh, investors in the area who were looking to buy contractors. And um, that's my background. I've got 35 years in the construction industry, mostly in mechanical trades. And that's what we were looking for was a mechanical contractor. And, and I know how to run contracting businesses. And uh, one of my now business partners and I came across uh, Gray Boy's commercial window for sale. And, you know, first look at it, I'm kind of like a commercial glazing company. Not sure this is really what I want to do. But as we dug into it, we really liked what we saw. Uh, and I think it's the company has an interesting history. It started 34 years ago by Terry Gray Boy's, uh, a pioneer in the industry. You know, it's uh, construction's a challenging business to be in. You know, it's sort of high risk, uh, high reward kind of industry. Um, and being a woman, I think, makes it even that much more challenging. So, uh, you know, Terry had um, brought the business up from the ground up from her kitchen table um, a few years before we came on board, about 10 years. Uh, some other people had come into the business and bought it. Terry still had a minority position. And they had reached a point in their careers where they were looking to move on and do other things. And so we came upon it. And we saw it, and we liked what we saw, and a lot of it was really where the culture of the organization was at. Really high-performance team of individuals doing some really amazing things, and we liked that. Because at the end of the day, no matter what industry you're in or what business you're in, it's always all about the people. And if you don't have good people, then where are you going to go? And that was the thing that attracted us, is we have this great team of people. Um, and so we saw a reason to get involved and get engaged with that and help expand that. Um, we have a really good focus in the business. The thing that we're known for locally is replacement windows and white glove service, uh, and we do a lot of work in occupied buildings. Uh, one of the things we just recently finished off um, is Alden Park up in East Falls. Uh, anybody familiar with that property goes back to the 1920s. Just an awesome, awesome facility that's uh, got a $60 million investment going on it from a new ownership group out of New York City. And part of that, they decided to restore the uh, facade. So they repointed all the masonry, but also replaced all of the windows. So 6,688 windows. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, just, and we, we picked up as the company was about three months into that project is when we took over. And uh, the team was rolling along and uh, they kept doing their thing. We actually finished that project four months ahead of schedule. Just an amazing job and mostly in an occupied building. So we're dealing with 
people leaving in the morning to go to work. And when they come home in the afternoons or evenings, they've got new windows. We've taken their old ones out, put their new ones in. So lots of coordination with the owner and their team, scheduling people in and out. Uh, but I think that was part of, you know, part of the journey here with us is really just being able to take over this company with such a rich, deep history in the area um, as being a leader uh, in the construction trades, you know, first as a woman owned business, uh, you know, and now as a minority owned business because of my background. Uh, and we're trying to continue that. And now we're adding services on um, that we didn't used to perform that now that we can because of our relationship with the local labor partners that we have. As Gray Boys comes up on its 35th anniversary, uh, I will tell you as being a native Philadelphian that I recognize that name. And, and I know it has a stellar reputation in the construction industry. Uh, but there's one particular area that I was hoping you could expand on, which is uh, the historic preservation aspect. And it sounds like you engaged some of those skills with this most recent project in East Falls. If you could talk a little bit about that, his, that, that niche for the historic preservation uh, expertise. Yeah, and that was um, another one of the big drivers was that niche because there is something really so specialized about it. And I think, you know, being here in Philly with the rich history we have, I mean, it's reflected in our built environment. Just a tremendous amount of buildings that, you know, can continue to be maintained and improved. So when you get into historic preservation, there's always lots of questions, and it gets to be really interesting when you're looking at a window replacement because of the existing windows that were in there, and they could be anywhere from uh, decades old to perhaps in some cases over 100 years old. And what you're trying to do is maintain the look and feel of those existing windows, but put something into them as a replacement that's just a whole lot more energy efficient um, to try to stand up to new codes. And that's the bit of the balancing act that we're always in on the historic preservation side. Can we find and work with manufacturers, and we have several that this is what they focus on from a historic replacement standpoint, can we find those manufacturers who are building these new high efficiency windows that will match some of the older wood or in some cases steel windows that were in place? And there's just a lot of nuanced engineering that goes into making that happen. And fortunately at Alden Park, we worked with Graham Architectural, who's in York, Pennsylvania, uh, who did a great job for us on that job. Just, you know, between designing the windows and then helping us get it through um, not only the local historic preservation alliance, but also working with national parks, because that project is on the national register. So you end up with two different groups typically here in Philadelphia you're working with. You're either working with national parks if they're on the historic registry. And so you've got them as a lead, but you also have the, the local Historic Preservation Alliance to partner with. Um, because what a lot of people probably don't know is that the Preservation Alliance actually has um, sort of rights to the facades of these historic buildings. And in exchange for those rights, uh, the owners who are doing work get to get tax credits for that. And it helps to incentivize the repair and replacement of the facades and the windows to try to keep these buildings looking like they did, but make them better. That's a great, uh, a great perspective. And for those of us who are not as familiar with the industry, Ellis, can you talk with us a little bit about what a glazer actually is? Yes. What, what does that term mean? Yeah, so great, great question. So a glazer is somebody that basically puts glass assemblies together. And those glass assemblies could be any number of things. They can be windows. Uh, they can be storefronts. So when you think of storefront, it's that element of the building that's on the very first floor. So if you think about walking into a Starbucks on your local corner, the front portions of that, where the door entries are, where the big windows are that sit inside, is considered to be storefront. Um, and then you get into some things like curtain walls. So if you think about the new innovation center that Comcast is building, this big high-rise, anything that looks like it's an all-glass facade is considered to be curtain wall. And that's an engineered system that's designed to deal with 
making sure that everything's on the outside stays on the outside and everything that's on the inside stays on the inside. So um, that's where a lot of the glazers work. And there's also places on insides of buildings that they do a lot of work. So if you think about some of the new open office spaces with a lot of glass walls and partitions, uh, glazers work to put those systems in. Um, You think about railings. Sometimes some of the things I hadn't thought about, you know, they put in glass safety railings and things of that nature. Or you get into uh, the hospitality industry with hotel spaces. Uh, you might find shower doors, uh, things inside of rest, um, restrooms and bathrooms, uh, mirrors. So anything that's sort of glass related um, is what glazers are dealing with every day. And in that spirit, um, I want to dive into the talent uh, because you had referenced your great team at Gray Boys. Mm-hmm. And there is a, a real skill set and a talent that's required to accomplish the the level of expertise that Gray Boys uh, achieves. Where's that talent come from and, and how hard is it to find that talent? Is it is it a growing um, pool? Is it a concern of the industry of how do, how do we continue this pipeline of, of success with great talent? So we don't have the number of people that we'll need going forward. There's a lot of people, uh, boomers specifically, who are retiring. So there's a, this tremendous amount of uh, retirement beginning to happen. And uh, what's ended up happening over the last probably 30 to 40 years, people haven't been encouraged to go into the trades. There was this there's this big push that probably started in the mid-60s about, you know, go to college, uh, get a degree, figure out how to, you know, work with something other than your hands going out and, and shaping and changing the environment. Um, so we've not seen that. And and that's really a disappointment. I mean, I, um, you know, I come from a family where education was sort of the competitive sport in the family. Um, you know, so I was fortunate enough to get to college, do some grad school work and all that fun stuff. But some of my greatest joy in life has come from the fact that I like to build things. You know, it's really just a lot of fun. Uh, so finding people and getting them encouraged to come into the trades is one of the challenges we're up against every day. Uh, now, fortunately, we've got a couple really good partners here locally. So we're we're a union contractor, and we are signatory to both the Carpenters and the Glazers. And the Glazers, in my mind, are really cutting edge in this area. So they have a, they're partnered with the Finishing Trades Institute here locally. And I would encourage anybody who's interested in seeing something in practice that can lead to a real dynamic career to arrange to go visit the Finishing Trades Institute, just an amazing training organization. But they were the first um, apprenticeship program in the country who now actually is when you come out as an apprentice, you come out with a two-year degree. And you get that in construction technology. So you're going to do, a, if you're going in as a glazer, you're going to come out with a four-year apprenticeship. So you're going to work for four years in apprentice at an increasing pay scale as you do that. Uh, and you'll go to school at the same time you're working in the field. So that's kind of the fun part of it, right? So you're going to come out with no debt, a two-year degree, and the ability to make a living wage with the start of a pension and health care program that goes along with that. Uh, the carpenters have uh, similar programs, but they're getting close to having the two-year degree to go with it, but not quite there yet. Uh, but they also have some amazing training going on. And, and one of the things that they've recognized in the industry is that we need more leaders in the field who know how to... Uh, lead a field team and deal with some of the interpersonal things that go on that it's not just about the hard skills so to speak about you know how do I measure something and cut something and put it in place correctly but you know how do I deal one-to-one with somebody every day and they have a program called 300 hitters that is designed to take those emerging leaders in the field and give them those sort of soft interpersonal skills uh, that they're going to need to really help continue to build their success so we're partnered with both of those organizations and, and glad to be. Um, from some perspectives, you could go, you know, hey, you guys are paying a real premium for that labor. But what we do isn't simple every day either. You know, we're dealing with some pretty tricky stuff every day. And, you know, you really want people who are thinking smartly about things 
keep safety as the number one priority. You know, we're very proud of our safety records and the way we practice that. And these organizations help us support that because safety is number one to them as well, too. So getting that combination of training and maintaining it on an ongoing basis is just a huge benefit to us. It's interesting you were talking about the softer skills of a leader who can um, overcome challenges or help navigate a particular situation um, in the field. Because I I will tell you, I was thinking about that when you were telling the story about the Alden Park project and that it was an occupied building and that you're replacing windows um, in the morning. Folks were leaving in the evening. They come home and their windows were redone. Well, I, what was going through my mind is you were in their home <laughs> and that takes a, a certain talent and skill to instill confidence, uh, but also to be able to interface with a homeowner and ensure them that they are in good hands. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it all starts with a certain level of respect. So you've got to be respectful of the, the home that you're walking into, the space that you're going to occupy. You also have to be respectful of the rest of your team members because everybody's got something that they're responsible for that they have to go and do. So you have to be respectful of that. And But when you do have those situations arise where perhaps tensions rise or there's some level of conflict that's going to come along, you've got to have people who know how to deal with that in a, in a professional way way so that you're not raising tensions and causing things to have the wheels come off the cart, so to speak. Um, so having that programs that train some of that is really important and having people who are willing to implement and listen to it. Because to your point, you know, it's a pretty sensitive thing being in and out of people's living space and to be able to build that level of confidence. And so our team leaders do did a really good job of you know working with the construction management team that we were given but also interfacing with the clients because every day we're having to talk to somebody in their apartment before they're leaving uh, before they come back you know we're making sure that we're you know protecting their their valuables inside their apartment in a way that's meaningful for them cleaning up so that they know that we took care in the space while we're gone and nothing's going to be missing um, and to get through all the the spaces that we get to on a regular basis just requires a pretty high level of professionalism and dedication from the team um, and that was one of the things that we purchased when we purchased the company and that we've worked really hard to make sure that we maintain in the organization uh, as we're moving forward because it's just a key part of what we do every day. Absolutely. That, that reputation, that integrity is really key. I, I wanted to come back to the Finishing Trades Institute. Are they unique to Philadelphia? Do they, do they have institutes across the country? Do they have several? Are they in Philadelphia? And did they start in Philadelphia? And I, you, you had mentioned that the two-year degree in construction technologies that's issued by FTI uh, was first done here. And I wanted to expand on that a little bit. Is that unique to Philadelphia or is it across the country? So um, they're not unique to Philadelphia. And the fact that every union has some type of local training and apprenticeship location that they work from. Um, so from that perspective, not unique. But I think unique in the fact that the leadership that's up there led by Joe Ashdale, who's the business manager for the uh, finishing trades, for the local unions that are tied to that. So it's the glazers, the painters, um, drywallers. It's what they call the allied trades. And Joe's the business agent for all of that. And it was really Joe's vision. You know, He saw that things needed to be done differently uh, and decided that one of the ways to do that was is we need to do training better and different. And so he put his team together and uh, worked really hard to become the very first uh, apprenticeship program in the U.S. that had, you know, had developed this ability to come out of the program with a two-year college degree as part of it. So very much on the cutting edge. I mean, so much so that um, the international union that they're part of, though that international training group actually comes here to Philadelphia to see how we do things uh, because they have been so innovative and so out in front. And there's other uh, locals here now in Philadelphia that are working to replicate that. 
So the carpenters are working on it. Uh, local 420 that represents the pipe fitters is working on it. Um, I suspect local 98 as well. We're not that close to the electricians, so we don't. I don't know for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised to see that they're working on it. It's becoming important, and I think one of the things that's really interesting for us is that, matter of fact, we just had this happen in our organization. So we just promoted one of our foremen up to a project manager. And he had gone through the Glazers. He went through the apprenticeship program, got his two-year college degree for construction technology, then went on to Rutgers and during went to night school and got a BS in business and was able to transfer those um, credits that he had on his two-year program to his four-year program. And so now he's got a bachelor's in business, um, which has helped him move along in his career. So now he, you know, he's grown with our team and become a project manager. And that's really part of the whole process here that we want to encourage people with is to say, you know, you can continue on that uh, educational path way. And there is the partnership with FTI with a number of the local universities. Uh, you, Philadelphia University is tied to them, so you can transfer those credits in there. Uh, you can transfer those credits into Drexel uh, and continue on. Um, and I think it's just an amazing career pathway for somebody to think about that, you know, you don't have to go to uh, college right out of high school. Uh, you can, you know, get into one of the trades and then figure out a way to continue on that pathway. So you'll learn something really valuable uh, that you can continue to work with. But then move on to other things if that's where you want to go eventually. And and when you think about the cost of college these days and what it takes, the fact that you could get into an apprentice program that is paid for, it doesn't cost you anything other than your time and dedication and making sure you're showing up and doing the job and that you're going to come out with something really valuable afterwards that you can continue to market yourself with for a long, long time. I love the story of the vision that Joe Ashdale had at FTI, uh, in part because, and you know this from your passion for history, uh, the city of Philadelphia, the region of greater Philadelphia, is really known as a region of firsts. You know, first uh, medical school, first school of pharmacy, first hospital, et cetera, first bank. Uh, so the fact that we're still, as a community in greater Philadelphia, creating new firsts is really inspiring. And it's one of the stories that we often like to, to share. And I want to transition a little bit into the why Philadelphia component. Uh, I know your offices are at the Philadelphia Navy Yard, which is a unique story in and, in and of itself. You referenced a little bit the Preservation Alliance, but I wanted to check in with you about the, the notion of um, could gray boys be successful uh, in regions other than greater Philadelphia when it comes to the historic buildings that are here and the need for the type of skill set. Uh, or you could be successful, but maybe just in a different way. And, th and that's really what I wanted to, to dive into uh, a little bit with you. Actually, part of our long-term plan for Gray Boys is to actually expand our geographic reach. And we felt like we could do that because of our partnership with the unions. Um, and that's one of the benefits to being a union contractor is, you know, we'll, we'll use some of our team and talent to travel to the places that we want to do work in. But then we can draw from the local talent pools. And that's, again, one of the advantages is you know you've got relatively consistent training from apprenticeship programs. Programs, so that when you're putting journey people in place, you know that the basic skills are covered, and so you've got those. Um, so what part of our game plan is to actually uh, set up ourselves so that we have a geographic reach from basically uh, Washington, D.C. to Boston is our long-term plan. We want to be able to work in all those markets, and we think we can do that uh, with the availability of labor talent that we can have. Uh, and we think we can execute just as well. I mean, there's always, at the end of the day, it always comes down to people, you know, so... 
you got some good people, you got some people that you know need some support, need some help. But we think with the right people and the right uh, mission translated to those people, that we can really do some pretty interesting things in building the business long term. Uh, and to your point, I think you know, when you look at Philadelphia as a city of first, um, you know we're one of the uh, cities we just as you know we just recently joined the 2030 district, um, getting that on board, and we're a big committed part of that uh, because we th- we see maintaining and keeping our existing buildings functional is a big part of our mission. And when you think about the D.C. to Boston corridor, there's a lot of history in that area. There's a tremendous amount in the built environment of historic buildings in that area that need renovations, that need uh, updates to them. So we see some real opportunities for us to continue to expand and grow. I did want to dive into that 2030 a little bit more because I I know it's an important topic, uh, but I don't understand or appreciate what the 2030 – it's the – 2030 district? Yeah, so the 2030 district was, uh, the the concept behind that was started, I may be a little bit off on this, but I want to say about 10 years ago and was really driven by the concerns around climate change. And, you know, buildings consume about 40% of all of our electricity and energy that we generate in the United States. So a big component of what we do that impacts our environment and our climate. And the goals of the district were pretty simple. What they were really targeting and challenging people to do was to, there's a a baseline year that was chosen um, sometime in the early 2000s, and I never can remember the exact number, so I have to forgive me on that. Uh, But really the goal was is that by 2030, all those cities or communities that would sign up for it could get to a 50% reduction in uh, both energy usage of those buildings, uh, water usage in those buildings, uh, greenhouse gas emissions as contributed by transportation. So, you know, again, thinking about us and going back to the initial conversation around uh, how our public transportation work is a big deal because that's a contributing component uh, as to what you do relative to greenhouse gas emissions. And that's really the whole goal behind the 2030 district. And we got uh, the one here was officially launched last October. Uh, I think there's about 17 million square feet into the district right now. Uh, Brandywine Realty uh, was a first in sort of partner. Drexel University is another one that's in. Um, I think Penn uh, from a college standpoint is in and there's lots of people and, and building owners that they're talking to. Uh, But we got engaged with it because sort of our passion is really making buildings better. While I've been doing this for 35, 36 years, and mostly, as I said originally, on the mechanical side, so much of what goes on inside a building is really impacted by what that enclosure of the building does. And so being able to do good things with the glazing in those buildings to us is a valuable way to contribute toward that. Um, so we really saw it as a reason to be engaged and involved. And we're, we're very excited about where we think the future is going to go with that and, and where we can help it get to. I love that. And I love the, uh, the very straightforward making buildings better approach. It's, it's really smart. When you meet folks um, from Europe or South America or other parts of the North American landscape, um, what do you tell them about Philadelphia and why? And why, why is Greater Philadelphia such a great place to establish and grow a business? You know, I think it's a great place to establish and grow a business because there's just so much dynamic stuff going on here right now. I think a lot of it is location, as we talked about before. You know, we really are sort of centrally located to a major corridor where there's just a tremendous amount of uh, financial activity going on. I think thought leadership going on as to how we want to address and move our, our country and our world forward. Just a lot of things. And we're very conveniently located to that entire conversation uh, with everything that we do. So we think that's really a, a big piece of it. You know, the whole transportation infrastructure is, again, um, I think a big mover. But I think really at the end of the day, just like our business, it comes back to the people. 
Um, and I think the people of the region um, are really optimistic, uh, very forward thinking. You know, there's a lot of dynamic stuff going on. I think, you know, you look at uh, Mayor Kenny's leadership in the area relative to sustainability and resiliency and, uh, you know, caring about people, um, you know, wanting to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to participate in all of the growth that's going on. Um, and, you know, that for us, I mean, there's so many of these things that are just interlinked. You know, when we think about how do we help people do better, you know, and we look at the trades as a pathway for that, there's a lot of things that people can have, you know, solid uh, livelihoods, earn really good livings, can get some security built in for their longer term good uh, because they'll get pensions, they get health care, uh, they get ongoing training built in. And all of that stuff, you start bundling it together. That's a great reason to be here in the area. You know, I think sometimes we get ourselves distracted with some of the other conversations we get into um, about, you know, some tax item here or something else going on there. But I think when we really look at the core of what the community is all about, which is about trying to find ways to raise everybody up so that everybody can participate uh, in all of the things that life here in the area has to offer, I think there's not many other places I can think of in the country that I've been that have all of the pieces available that Philadelphia has. Ellis Giles, president of Gray Boys Commercial Window Company. Thanks for being part of our Growing Greater Philadelphia program. Matt, thanks for having me here today. Hey, this segment of Growing Greater Philadelphia is brought to us by Independence Blue Cross. They're a proud sponsor of Select Greater Philadelphia. Independence Blue Cross is the largest health insurer of the Philadelphia region, serving more than 2.5 million people locally and 8.5 million people in 23 states and Washington, D.C. You can learn more about Independence Blue Cross at ibx.com. Check out all of our podcasts and tune in Friday mornings, 5 a.m. on Talk Radio 1210 WPA. Thanks so much for listening to Growing Greater Philadelphia.